Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The marketplace will humble you if you're not ready. But secondly, it, it wasn't our workouts that were magical. It was the feelings we created in the culture. And, and I just didn't know at that time, that's what I was really scaling. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Welcome back. Guess what? This is show number 100. Yes, that's 100 interviews with business experts with amazing stories and experiences. Thank you for listening. I sincerely appreciate it. In today's competitive market, being unique isn't just a nice to have. It's the only way to win. Our guest today, Dustin Bogle, CEO of Lead the Way Fitness, embodies this mantra to a T. He's a former professional wrestler turned entrepreneur who built an empire of gyms in Southern California in just six years. Now, he's using his hard-earned knowledge to help gym owners free up their time and build successful businesses. We'll talk about the importance of standing out in business, building your hustle muscle, and the powerful impact of creating emotional connections with customers. Plus, we'll delve into the golden nuggets from Dustin's latest book, Reinforce Your Gym. So if you're keen on scaling your business and developing a unique offering that leaves your customers wanting more, you don't want to miss this episode. Also remember to check out our guest at a glance details in the show notes at thinktyler.com, including Dustin's key quote and where to find him online. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hey, Dustin, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How's it going today? I'm doing fantastic. Excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Hey, I'd love to start out with, tell me a little bit about what Dustin's all about and what you do for a living. Yeah, so I'm definitely neck deep in the fitness industry. That's kind of where I come from. That's where I learned my business acumen. And essentially, it's funny because now I am very involved in it, but that what got me here was kind of like my background story. And you know, they say your mess becomes your message. I was actually very overweight as a teenager. I was 260 pounds, not far from 300 and very introverted. And I think the way that I acted around people was a reflection of how I felt my body. I wanted to hide. I was always wearing a jacket with a hoodie. I would stand in the corner on the quad of the high school, you know, outdoor area. And I wouldn't talk to anybody just didn't have confidence. I want to look someone in the eye. I definitely didn't want attention. I didn't want anybody looking at me. And it all came from my body. And so what changed was the day that a friend said, hey, I'm going to go get a workout in after school. Do you want to come with me? And it's one of those moments where just one thing can just completely change the trajectory of your life, right? One conversation, one relationship, one invitation. And so I went and we did a standard meathead workout. So we're hitting chest and biceps and we're getting that standard guy pump and we're loving it. And so afterwards, I said, oh, my God, I've never felt this way before. I literally felt like I was on a drug. I got endorphins rushing. I'm feeling amazing. I'm on a cloud nine. I got a pump. My arms are filling out my shirt. I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. 
And I said to that friend, I want to come to you with you to the gym every day after school. And I want to see what I can do here. And over six months, I proceeded to lose 60 pounds of body fat. I got visible abs. I was feeling like amazing. And I said to myself, this is the best gift I gave myself. I want to give this to other people. And after that transformation, I decided to become a certified trainer. And that was almost 20 years ago. So that's kind of how I got, you know, interested in fitness and then obviously became obsessed, went on to open gyms and, you know, continued on further through the business. So that's just a little background on, on who I am, Tyler. Yeah. And there's so much there. I, you know, I'm going to back up. I definitely want to okay. cover the six gyms in, in Los Angeles in a highly competitive area because that's, that's like a feat in itself. But before I go there, you started out as a wrestler. Is that correct? Yeah. Tell us the story about that. How do you, one, get into wrestling? And then how does it take you in the direction of owning gyms? Yeah, great question. So that was part of my, you know, I guess you'd call it teenage obesity. I sat down and I just played video games and I watched pro wrestling and I loved it. And I'm just scarfing fast food, candy bars, just sitting on my butt and, you know, doing these things on a screen. And so I loved it. Now, what changed was, it's funny, that same individual that invited me to go to the gym, he then said, hey, you want to come over to my house? My dad built me a pro wrestling ring in my backyard. I'm like, what? Like, what dad does this for their kids? Right. And so most of the kids you saw, you know, again, this is like early 2000s. There was all these news stories of kids being backyard wrestlers. They're hitting each other with light tubes. They're throwing each other through drywall. They're just doing all this crazy stuff. And so his dad said, well, I don't want you guys being slammed on the ground in the grass. I'll build you a ring. He's a contractor. And he literally built them a 16 by 16 foot ring in their backyard. And so we would watch Monday Night Raw and then we would go and do what we saw in the ring. And we just we were obsessed with it. And we eventually went on and got professionally trained, we went to an actual school and went through the training process so that we could do that and, and become professional wrestlers. So that was, yes, 10 years of my life that I was in that industry. Definitely a lot of fun stories and learning lessons there. <laughs> I mean, did you actually make money from being a wrestler? Like, how's no. that? Work? Okay, so it was it was all something you just you did on your free time, something you really enjoyed doing. Yeah, I kind of like say that it's like being that band that's starving artist trying to make it before you get signed with the big label, and you're just doing coffee shops and small gigs, and you're getting barely nothing. We would get twenty to forty dollars a match. Sometimes I got paid in hot dogs and nachos. They didn't even have money for us. So, you know, it's one of those things that it humbles you, but also I'm sure anybody who loves what they do for work, they often say you would do it for free. Well, like that shows you I did. I love wrestling so much. I would drive two hours and I would do it for free because I enjoyed it so much. It wasn't about the money. It was for the love of the, of the sport, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, when you got paid 20 bucks, it was probably like the best 20 bucks you ever received. Absolutely, man. Because you enjoyed it so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. Hey, you've got another cool story. So I'm going to switch gears. As I understand the story, there was an angry mob in Mexico. They were actually chasing you. And so what's the story behind that? And it sounds like you got a valuable lesson out of it. Now, one is maybe not to get a mob angry at you. I don't know. But I have the <laughs> feeling there's something deeper than that. Yeah. So again, I look back at so many things I did. I'm like, what were you thinking, Dustin? So a promoter saw me in LA at a show and said, Hey, you'd make a good bad guy. I have this great luchador that I want to make the main event good guy. And I want you to go against him every night. And we're going to do a two week tour in Mexico. You know, there's going to be a bunch of matches, like, you know, six or eight matches, but you guys will be main event. 
and I'm going to pay $2,000 to come out for two weeks. And I was like, sold. Like, this is my dream. I'm, I'm going to have a tour and I'm going to be gone for an extended period of time. Let's go. So this is before iPhones, a lot of social media. I think MySpace was the main one. I actually told my mom I wasn't going to Mexico. I told her I was going to Arizona because I didn't want her to know I was going there. So basically checked all the boxes to go and die in Mexico, like took a phone that didn't work internationally, only took $200 cash, didn't tell my mom I'm going there. I'm like, this is what you do to go get, you know, kidnapped and killed in Mexico. And so we go out there, we run the first two shows, everything seems to be fine. The crowd seems a little light with what I was expecting. And by the third show, the guy that I main evented with every night came over to me and said, hey, my friend, there's not going to be a show tonight. The wrestlers are actually refusing to perform because the promoters broke. He didn't sell enough tickets. And so we refused to perform for that reason. So come with me. We're going to the tour bus. We're all going to go to the airport tonight or tomorrow morning. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, like I'll go with you guys, but what's the crowd going to find, you know, do when they find out the ring announcer goes in and tells them. They all go outside, pissed off, running out into the into the front of the building, and they find the tour bus, and they just shut the door when I get on board, and they're shaking it, and they're angry, and they're beating it, and they're throwing glass bottles at the window, and they like they want to kill us because we're basically taking their money and we're skipping town, you know, which I totally understand. Sure. So we end up turning on the bus, getting out of there, and uh, eventually a, a friend there loans me the money to fly home. And so that was like a huge blessing. Otherwise, I don't know what had happened, but I was stuck. I was out of money and I had no flight return flight. And needless to say, the promoter didn't pay me what he promised. He was broke. He ended up going to jail. Wow. So the lesson that I learned was on that flight home was about how emotionally charging money can be for people. Right. And so like the promoter, look at that because he wasn't a good marketer. He couldn't sell enough tickets. He ended up in jail and his company went under. Right. The mob was angry and literally wanted to kill us because their money was taken and no refund was given. And then I was stuck helpless in another country with no way to get home because I didn't have any money to my name. And so all these feelings I felt, the feelings the crowd felt, the feeling the promoter felt all came because of choices we made around money. And so that was like the big learning lesson. And when I flew home that day, I was like, okay, I'm going to now take control of my financial situation. I'm going to start a business. I'm not going to be dependent upon someone else paying me. I'm going to make my own money appear out of thin air. And I'm not going to want to, I never want to be in this state again where I'm stuck and I have not enough to get out of, you know, a tough spot. So those, those were the learning lessons I learned from that crazy trip to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, that is a crazy start. Is there anything, you know, when I always looked back on when wrestling was really popular, how each character kind of marketed themselves, if you will. Like they kind of had their own personas and you thought of them a certain way. Did any of that, since you were such a, a close fan, did any of that translate in how, because you're a sales and marketing guy, does any of that translate into how you have developed as a sales and marketing person? Like, did you have reflections on that? 100%, 100%. I think there's two really big lessons that I took from wrestling and brought it into the business world. The first is be unique. And like you said, all the wrestlers have their stick. You know, they call it gimmick in wrestling. The Undertaker is this undead guy that, you know, is from the grave and he's going to give you the tombstone pile driver. And, you know, he's big and scary. The lights go out. That's his gimmick. Stone Cold Steve Austin is this beer drinking Texan who beats up his boss and flips the middle finger off. And like, there's all these guys that got these characters. So, you know, when I would coach, I would tell the coaches on our team, you know, what's your character? When you step on the stage, you need to be unique. You can't just be a coach that knows how to do a push-up. 
you're very forgettable and they're just going to shop around for the cheapest one. That's when you become a commodity is when you're a me too product. So the same thing to business owners, ask yourself, what am I doing to be unique? Could somebody really get confused with my company amongst all the others? You know, now you're swimming in what they call that red ocean, right? Like all the sharks are trying to eat the same fish. It's a bloodied water and you're competing with everybody. You want to get to the blue ocean where you stand tall and there's no competition Examples like Netflix, they had like a 10 to 12 year blue ocean period where they had no streaming competition. They get a huge leg up. And then, of course, the competition came. All companies eventually create competitors. And now a red ocean exists. There's more streaming than we know, know what to do with. But, you know, I learned that like I have to be unique. I either have to be a unique method or I have to be unique as a character on my marketing. I have to stand out because. The other thing is, like I said earlier, people shop for the lowest price. If in my world, like a gym, if there's boot camp A, boot camp B, boot camp C, they're going to immediately see them all as the same thing. They're going to say, which one's the cheapest? That's just what people are trying to do is they're trying to protect their finances, right? And be a smart shopper. But if I have a unique method and nobody else does it, I now own my own space. I own, I own this method. I said, the only place you can buy this is for me. And you can't go and shop me because I'm unique. And so that's something that I learned. I had to build in my businesses. I need a unique, you know, unique selling proposition, right? They call it. And so what is unique about me? What makes me different? What makes you choose to do business with me and you can't get anywhere else? Now I can make my own pricing up because you can't say that seems high compared to what, right? Like there's no one else that does this. So I'd say to all people who are looking at their marketing, double down on making your offer unique and really speak to the pain points of your market. You don't want to make it unique just to make it unique. You want to connect it to like, how am I going to help my customers through a unique method or process? So that, that was definitely a big one. I had one more, but did you, did you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah. One thing I want to touch on, thanks for giving me a a little pause here. What I find fascinating, and I love just your examples. A lot of times when you talk to business owners, they'll go, well, I'm painting houses. What's unique about that? Or I'm, I'm doing wood floors. What's unique about that? Or I'm a retail store. And I love that you as a gym owner, it would be very easy for you to say, I'm a gym owner. What's the difference about a gym owner? It's equipment, it's training, it's whatever. But to hear you as someone that runs six gyms and be able to say, there's, a, you know, I, I'm pulling my own unique positioning on it to be able to drive value and be able to drive a differentiation, I, I think is awesome, man. It speaks to me so loud. So that's really all I want to say about that. I'd love to jump into the second item if you remember it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you could do this for any business. So I love those examples. Like, Maybe there's a painting service paints at one time, but they offer to put you on reoccurring, come back and do touch-ups. Right. You know, maybe they have other compliments, you know, the paint is the foot in the door. And then they're like, hey, we also do cabinets and you upsell them into a bigger contract. So again, it, it could be upselling or it could be your unique method. You could say, hey, we don't do chemical painting. All the other guys, they use really harsh chemicals. We use non-chemical paints. And so that's what's unique about us. We have a charity. Every time you spend money with us, we get 5% of profits to a local charity. So there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. And so if you can just make that your proposition that you put on your marketing and really double down on it, that's what makes people want to buy with you, right? The other lesson I got from there is to build your hustle muscles, okay? So essentially what I mean by that is we as business owners, especially if you really use a lot of digital marketing have become atrophied and become really lazy because you can really just get just lazy having digital leads brought to you all day long off of Facebook ads, Google ads, et cetera. And so it just can feel like the easiest thing. I just turn on this marketing and the leads come in. 
But we're finding more and more people are not getting, you know, good quality leads. There's people that I think have burner phone number and emails that they just put in to opt in and they don't really check that. And so you're kind of getting a bogus lead or you get a lot of window shoppers, but people have just been so desensitized by ads. There's not as many good quality leads coming in on them. It doesn't mean you should stop doing it. You should. But what I think that really helps somebody is when they can get belly to belly, face to face, just like we're doing here and talk and communicate with people. And I think that that skill set has disappeared. It was like a huge pendulum swing. You old school marketing was I needed to to you know get on the radio and I needed to go to the chamber of commerce and I need to get to know the small businesses in my area and then it went like hardcore digital and like people went all in on that and they forgot about that. And I think you can really win if you know you're in a brick and mortar space, you're online, maybe you don't, you know, have, this doesn't work for you, but if you're a brick and mortar local business being involved in your local community, getting to know your local business owners, organizing just a free mastermind. We just want to get together and share ideas, supporting local business and putting it on your social media. You know, if you buy from a business and nobody knows, you know, like let it help your brand. Like, hey, I'm a local guy and I support local businesses. Put that out there because then people want to do business with you. Right. And so I would say the hustle muscle came from we would put flyers on cars every day after work. We, we would go, I would, when did, personal training for eight hours. And then I'd meet up with my buddies and we would go to Target and Walmart and we're putting flyers on car doors. And we did that every day. And so I just did so much work in a, like in a waking day that I had this crazy work ethic that really helped me when I got into business. But before I was just like a young kid that wanted to tell the world about my wrestling show. So I would say that was another big learning lesson is like get building my hustle muscle and learning how to have face-to-face communication with people that really served me well. We got sponsorships with our wrestling shows and so many cool things that helped me when I got into owning gyms. Yeah. Let's talk about that, the, the whole owning gyms thing. I mean, when I think of Los Angeles and gyms, I think of some of the most famous gyms in the world. I mean, it's a highly competitive area. It's probably got a lot of niches within it. One, what made you decide to start a gym in Los Angeles? And then I guess my question would be, I think you're up to six. How do you overcome that competition? Is it all that differentiation or is what's your take on that? Yeah. So the crazy story is that I actually broke myself and my systems and my culture by scaling too quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I opened number one. And what I didn't know at the time, Tyler, was that like I was the magic of that location because I was on site daily. I was helping running some of the sessions. I was selling. I was holding the standards high on the team. But I didn't know what that meant was like, that's culture. And I didn't know this is something you had to bottle up and then teach. I just thought this is how I live. And then I opened location two, but almost nobody from location one went there. I just hired cold people. So they didn't know how things work at location one. And now I'm kind of only spending a part time at both. So I'm not really rubbing off that magic to them. And then I go to three and now I'm just pretty much like working from home. My guys, I can't, I'm going to be driving around too much. Like I need you guys to run it. And so I got very focused on team and and equipment and team and equipment and rinse and repeat. And that's all it is. But what I didn't understand at that point in my entrepreneurial journey was that I needed to scale culture and I needed to scale leadership. And so what actually happened is I had to close two of those gyms and sell a third. And the reason for that was I didn't have those things in place. I didn't have culture and leadership. If I went back in time now, I would have been grooming somebody at location one to be the leader of location two and tell them to duplicate the magical things we do here, do it there. And very monkey see monkey do when you're in person, you're like, okay, I I got this, I got that. Awesome. I will do that over there. 
And I didn't, I just thought it was about the workouts. And so the longer and longer I've been in this industry, I realized it's the relationships. How do you make people feel? How often do you check in with them? Who cares if they're losing weight or not? They want to be felt a certain way. They want to be greeted. They want you to know what's going on in their personal life. And all we focused on was like designing workouts and that's it. And so that's what crippled it when we got to that point. And so not, yeah, it's very competitive. So the marketplace will humble you if you're not ready. But secondly, it wasn't our workouts that were magical. It was the feelings we created in the culture. And I just didn't know at that time, that's what I was really scaling. At the time, like I said, I thought it was workouts. So that was, again, humbling lesson that I had to learn. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. It wasn't our workouts that were magical. It was the feelings we created in the culture. And I just didn't know at that time, that's what I was really scaling. At the time, like I said, I thought it was workouts. So that was, again, humbling lesson that I had to learn. So then what did you do? Did you actually have to kind of refresh, if you will, and somehow transition this magical? I mean, a lot of times the owner has, you know, it's they own it. And so they have a certain way that they can interact with the clientele. They care deeply. And sometimes that gets lost with the team. How did you like massage that so that that now passes through to your team? Yeah, I think number one, any expansive person, like again, I was very aggressive. Six gyms in six years, pretty crazy. Any expansive person doesn't like going backwards. So immediately when that happened, I was like, okay, we're going to bounce back. We're going to go back and open more. But that's when COVID happened. And I realized that all the commercial space, although there's kind of this stigma, like the renters and the tenants had the landlords by, you know, the balls and they could, you know, ask whatever they want. Nope. The market was still going strong and they actually raised rates. And in fact, commercial space in the LA area has doubled since the last gym I opened. And so I said, this is no longer the path. This makes it very difficult. A lot of people know California is not small business friendly. And I said, this is making it very difficult for us to open more. So that's not going to be the path. And I actually just said, I'm going to stabilize these and we're going to just make as much impact as we can with these three. But then I did open a new company, which was my plan to help other gym owners and that's gym reinforcements. And so we do their sales, we do their follow-up and we reach out to them and we move them into their trial program there and get them into their gym. And so my goal at the end of the day is somebody who has changed by fitness and impact I don't care if it's at my gym or if it's somebody else's gym. I just want more of our country to get healthy and fit. And I don't know if I told you this, Tyler. I actually got a book dropping uh, tomorrow called Reinforce Your Gym. On the back, the tagline is, we are at war with obesity. And so many people don't know this statistic, but we are on track to be 50% obese as a country by the year 2030. And the global population is on track to be obese by 2035. So we're leading the way and not a good way in the United States when it comes to health. We're leading the way in obesity. And so the reason that, you know, I don't care if it's my gyms or the other gyms that I help, I don't see them as competitors. We're all brothers and sisters in this war against obesity here on our American soil. We need to get our country healthy because otherwise we're, we're going to have just early deaths. We're going to have other countries surpass us that do, uh, you know, focus on health. And everybody just shows up as their best for their businesses. 
So essentially, you know, going back to your question, like, how did we bounce back? We, we pivoted. And I think that's hard for a lot of business owners to kind of decide, is this requiring perseverance from me? Do I need to keep doing endurance and show up and keep doing the work I'm doing? Or do I need to pivot? And so at that moment, I decided it's time to pivot. We're going to go into a, a way where we can help other gyms. We're not looking to add more gyms to our portfolio this time. We're happy with the three we have. They're very successful. They're impacting hundreds of lives. And we do it in a high touch point way, personal training style. So that's that's kind of how we you know bounce back from that loss. Yeah, I love that. I love, and, and that's such a huge, sorry to interrupt you. That's such a huge point you just brought. I mean, you, there's so much gold here. The whole pivot thing, it's so hard for us to do that because sometimes we just get so set on, we're going to do X, we're going to do X. And it kind of sometimes takes us down in flames because we're so convinced that that's the only way to go. And for you to pivot and be able to offer your skills of scaling to six, of deciding that that you're going to keep your most uh, profitable gyms and then offer those skills of what you've learned along the way and make other gyms more efficient. I think that's really cool. And and I want to like, that takes me into really where I was going. Part of what you said is it sounded like you're doing lead generation and sales for these other firms. Can we talk a little bit about that? If it's unique to gyms, that's cool. But I think it probably could even apply to most business owners. What do you see as a weakness in terms of that uh, lead generation. One thing you mentioned was the whole face-to-face. Could you dig a little deeper in how we can improve and on lead generation? 100%. There's a couple of things. So like, again, following that vein of being unique, there's so many digital marketing agencies. I didn't want to be another one and fight in that me too space. So what we are is we're actually the lead follow-up company. So we're the next step in the customer's journey. We text, we call, we email, we go in and work your leads, new ones and your old ones and sell them a program to come into the gym. So that, that like we're going and we're selling, we're collecting money for that, that gym owner. And that's essentially what we do. And so, you know, yes, but trust me, marketing very much can influence our success. If someone has crappy marketing, no leads coming in, they can easily point their finger and say, you guys are no good. And we're like, you've had three leads in the last week. Like, you know, we, we need some more leads here. So yes, I'm very, very involved in marketing. We do coach these owners on how to improve their marketing. The number one thing I would say is consistency. There's a lot of people that only turn it on when the pipeline's dry. And so I'm of the mindset, my ads are running January to December. It's 12 months. I have marketing going organic and paid because I don't know other business owners feel, but I don't like having downtime. I want to constantly going. And so I feel like a lot of owners will only turn it on when they're dry. And then also their social media content. One of the best ways for us to get leads is just regular or, or a consistent content. And a lot of owners, I don't like being on camera. I don't know what to write. I'm not a creative. Well, you got to get someone else on your team or hire a third party or just you know face it head on and do it yourself. But uh, you just can't run from making content in today's world. And so again, just that very simple consistency will help. But I would say the final thing is really find the thing that gets you jazzed up where it comes out in your conviction. You'd be surprised how much better marketing will do when there's conviction behind it. And so it, people can kind of smell that you're just after a sale, you know, you're running a sale, like, okay, you just want my money. You know, we're doing this upgrade to our product or service. Why? Because we want your money and nothing ever feels emotional, right? And so the best marketing you feel from the person who's selling it or promoting it. And so the example I'll give is, you know, Elon Musk, like first make your product or service so good, it sells itself. And so like, 
I don't think he he has to like think of marketing schemes because when he gets in front of people, he's just jazzed up about the Tesla. He'll say, guys, this is the best car ever. That, you know, it's an experience when you sit in it. Oh my God, I can't wait for you to have this and this and that. And you're so excited because he's excited. And so a lot of marketing fails because you don't really believe the person who's doing the marketing is excited. And that's why it's tough when you do give it out to a third party, if they don't really get to understand your brand and the message you want to put out, they're kind of just checking the box of loading up marketing for you, which is fine. But if it's not working, I would say really dig into, do you feel anything when you read this marketing? Because that's what you're really after in business. We're out to create a feeling. And if your marketing doesn't have any emotion, doesn't have a feeling, it's like, hey, we're running a sale for 50% off. What's the feeling? Like, there's nothing there. Tell stories. Tell Why did you as the business owner decide to open this business? What's the stories about your customers? What's the story behind your mission? Tell stories, get people to feel things. And watch your marketing really, you know, improve and, and you get more, you know, uh, attention on it because it'll become shareable. It'll go viral. People will tag people on it because like, I want you to see this. This is amazing. I want you to feel this way. Like I felt most marketing tends to be flat and that's why it doesn't work. Yeah. What's that saying? We buy on emotion and we justify with logic. So it's kind of like yes. just exactly what you're saying. It's very emotional a lot of times when we purchase. I also, one thing that really resonated with me about having lead generation going all year. It is common. I see that where business owners will turn on the leads when they have nothing going on. And there's that there's a saying like once you get the flywheel going, just keep it going because it's really hard. You know, it's a flywheel is really hard to get going, but once it's going, it's actually kind of pretty easy to keep moving. And it's kind of that theory, I think, around lead generation is once you spin it, keep it going because it's really hard. It just doesn't start back up. Um, that's really hard yeah. to do. So there's a marketing concept called 90 day echo. And so like what you do today will be your lead generation 90 days from now, how many leads you get. But then the opposite works too. The leads you have today is what marketing you did 90 days ago. And so if your pipeline's dry, that means 90 days ago, you didn't do anything for marketing to get people, you know, and so what you do today will change. It won't change your, your lead gen tomorrow. You're probably only going to see it start to occur 90 days from now in a big way. So yeah, that's the 90 day echo. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good one. Okay, I like that. Okay, I got a couple of things I want to uh, just wrap up here. One, I wanted to talk about team problems. What what do you see mm -hmm. in terms of like uh, business owners? Is there something they can do to foster that culture, foster more cohesiveness? Anything that you've learned along the way that you could share in regards to, to team problem culture? Absolutely. I think... By far, the number one root of all team problems is communication. And it could be written, it could be verbal, but I think 80% of it is in a written format. If you look at the fights that happen on social media, it's because it's just two people being keyboard warriors. But if you had them sit in a chair across from one another, I bet they wouldn't be saying the things they're saying. And I wouldn't, I bet they wouldn't feel the way they feel. And it's very easy to write things angrily or to misread things in a written format. And so I say, like, really check your clarity and, and how well you write your text, your emails, your social media posts, because that is where people misconstrue things. And they say, oh, I thought you meant this. And I thought you meant that. And I thought you were angry when you when I said that. And I thought you were wanting this done by end of day. And, you know, that is a, a huge component. Verbal, less so because I can read your body language. I can have eye contact with you. I can hear your tone. And so it's very, very like not as often that people, you know, misread some things said in person. So that's why I say, hey, as a business leader, you got to be on Zoom. You got to have in-person meetings. You got to take phone calls. 
because if you need to cast vision and you need to pass on the message, that's the best way to do it. Written, usually a lot of you know follow-up questions come up or, or misreadings come up. So I believe that that's one of the best skills somebody can put you know time and money and energy into is developing their communication skills. Again, going in both those categories, your actors, your public speakers, your musicians and singers, they all are being paid because they're really good at how they can verbally communicate, right? Oral speech. And then write, you know, authors and people who write social media posts and people who write really well, you know, speech writers, these are people who write really well. And so what you find is both of them are very good, high paying gigs. And then in marketing, copywriters, right? And, and people who make video content, all of it is a verbal or written communication. My, my belief that I want to share with everybody here is that those are the high paying jobs. Wealthy people are good communicators. Broke people are poor communicators. They're using slang. They're saying things quickly. They don't know what they're really saying. They're not clear in their communication. And so again, it's not me trying to downplay anybody, but I just say, hey, pay attention to those, you know, like those, those common denominators and follow suit. And so they say, if you want to become a rich person, sell things to rich people. They will make you one of them. Sell things to broke people and they'll make you one of them. And so guess what? Rich people will judge you on your communication skills. They'll say, this person's not clear. This person's not explaining things clearly. I just like, they might not say that, but that was their brain is signaling. So they're going to go seek out somebody else. And the true masters that we all really look up to take complicated things and they make them very simple. So I would say, if you really want to increase your net worth, the biggest thing you can invest time and energy into is your communication skills. And that'll enhance your team's effectiveness too. Love that. Love that. I'm going to get a little greedy here because I'm going to ask you for one more. Right. If, if you got a business or a life tip, something you've learned along the, the way that you could share with us, it could be personal or business. I'd love to see if you got something off the top of your head. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing, the big umbrella over all of this is leadership. Like, like leadership is everything. Everything rises and falls with leadership. And I didn't understand that until later on in business. And so I would tell people like, hey, even communication is a subcategory of leadership. When I didn't expand culture and I didn't build leaders, that was me being a weak leader. When I am learning about marketing and how to show up and be convicted, I'm leading my business and I'm leading others to come in and work with me. When I'm recruiting team members, I'm casting vision. I'm telling them where we're going. All of it falls under leadership. So I would say the big learning lesson is that I had to understand how powerful that was in the business sector. Because I thought it was just what you do, like I get leads, I got to learn marketing, sell them, I need to learn sales, and then you know fulfill customer retention. And, and then one and done, very transactional minded. That's the guy in me, like tasks, let's just get these tasks done. And leadership led me to understand different personality types. You know That goes with my team and my customers. Different customers value different things. How to communicate with people, how to create a vision, like all these things that really are the, the like hidden things that you don't see. They're invisible things in business. We see the visible and that makes logical sense, but leadership's all the invisible stuff that you can't see going on. And that to me is the glue that holds the business together and also grows it. You show me a great business, I'll, you're showing me a great leader. And, and so that's essentially what I would say is the big learning lesson that took me way too long, Tyler, to learn is to just build my leadership muscles. 
Well, I'm older than you and it took me a long time too. So I think it's kind of normal, man. And good for you for like kind of acknowledging it and, and, you know, bringing up your game. I think that's part of life is all of us growing. So appreciate your transparency. Hey, Dustin, so your, your website, and I'll put this in the thinktyler.com show notes. It's jimreinforcements.com, jimreinforcements.com. I would love if you'd mention your book that's coming out again tomorrow. And then if there's anywhere else that you want people to reach out to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the spotlight. I appreciate it. But yeah, the book is Reinforce Your Gym. It's basically all my 10 years as a gym owner and 20 years as a trainer downloaded into one place. But also, I would say multiple people out of the gym sector have bought it and said there's something that they're able to take into their business. So I would say, hey, it doesn't have to be that you're a gym owner to get value from this book. Read it with an open mind. You'll probably take something away. It's on Amazon and you know you can get it as cheap as 99 cents on Kindle. And I think the paperback's 15. And so that would be a place where you can support and learn more. You want to follow me on social media. I'm very active on my Facebook and my Instagram. Just search my name, Dustin Bogle. If you are a gym owner and you want to get some free content, I also have a Facebook group called Gym Reinforcement. So join in and I post a lot of great tips to help you grow your business. So those would be the three ways to connect. Great, Dustin. I'll be sure to put those in the show notes too. I can't thank you enough. You dropped a lot of wisdom today in a real clear way. You're, you talk about clear communication. It was super clear. A lot of uh, gold nuggets there. So I really appreciate it. Plus some fun stories. So hopefully you'll come back in the future. You bet, man. I'd be happy to. Okay, man. Take care. <laughs> Thanks again. All right. Thank you, Tyler. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.